Now, at long last, I had tracked down his sister who lived in this building, and I'd called her the previous evening. Vous êtes la fille de Janine? You're Janine's daughter? What Janine? She dwelled on the name, then firmly declared she knew no Janine who had once been a friend of her brother's. All the same, moments later, she surprised me by saying she preferred not to talk on the phone, but insisted that I come to see her. Her invitation seemed a curious one, and it made me uneasy. Inside the building that Sunday morning, the lobby was empty and silent, its only adornment some scrawny dracenas moping in pots in the corners. On a wall near the entry, a directory of twenty-eight tenants included the family name I remembered. Had she ever married, I might not have found her. Yet Emilienne Arcieri, Roland's sister, was listed on the third floor, and a small elevator stood vacant and waiting. What would I say when I met her? How to explain my intentions in coming? Buying time to evaluate answers, I turned away from the elevator and slowly mounted the stairs. Just a few flights above lay a glimpse of a road that my mother wished she had chosen. Blocked at the time by landslides of war, it had twisted throughout a lifetime of dreams while she went in another direction. With its pitfalls concealed, too late to turn back, it seemed cruel and ill-timed to make her confront where the path she had lost might have led her. Was that the gift I would bring her from France at this uniquely terrible moment? It was never a thing she had looked for or asked for, and I had kept my mission in Mlou's secret. I felt guilty about this radical shift from our faithful pattern of talking and sharing, but I knew she would try to dissuade me. Janine had last seen Roland on Friday, March 13, 1942. On that day, pulled from his arms on the teeming docks of Marseille, she fled France with her family aboard a Portuguese passenger ship, furtively heading for Casablanca to meet a freighter steaming for Cuba. Theirs was a dangerously late escape from the Nazis. Her ship from Marseille, my mother had told me, was likely the last to have carried Jews out of France before the Germans seized total control of the country. Two weeks later, the first transports of Jews to camps in the east would begin in occupied France, that part of the conquered country directly ruled by the Germans. By July, mass deportations to Auschwitz would begin in the so-called free or unoccupied zone, where the puppet French government of Marshal Philippe Pétain complied with German demands. At eighteen, my mother prized love over survival, but the moment presented no options. Roland, then twenty-one and a Catholic from Mulhouse, would not be granted permission to leave. Janine desperately wanted to stay at his side, but she had to escape with her family. Buoyed by the optimism of youth, the lovers tried to assure one another that in less than a year the war would be over, and with peace restored, they would marry. That long-ago hour when her family boarded the Lippery to flee a crazed Europe was one I so often made my mother describe that I virtually felt I had lived it. I had peered at a black-and-white photo of Roland in a small rented boat, a snapshot taken for her by a fellow passenger on the Lippery's deck, and I had wondered about him. On the back, neatly written, were the words, 
seul sur la mer, alone on the sea, and in the picture, Roland's thin face and angular features looked wooden, his expression as dark as the water around him. In a white shirt and tie and long overcoat, he appeared out of place in a nautical setting, yet he was rowing past the Liberi as it made its way from the pier, bearing four hundred and forty-eight Jews past the rosy stone forts at the mouth of the city's Vieux-Port, Old Port, and out past the lighthouse to the glimmering Mediterranean Sea. It was afternoon when the Liberi pushed away from the Quai de la Joliette, the sun floating toward the horizon as the ship passed beneath the promontory where the stately 19th-century Palais du Ferro, built by Napoleon III, sits overlooking the water. There may have been dogs in the palace's park, running free in the grass, and lovers...